I just wanted to remind people, this is the new postcard back there with summer dates on it and the new time. So, yeah, we're going to have a summer of more to life. We've got six times we're meeting over the course of the summer, twice a month, but it's going to be from 7 to 8 o'clock instead. 7 to 8 o'clock here in this room through the summer because it's lighter out and more people want to take advantage of the day and make that happen, you know, and I always encourage people to come, do more to life, then go out for drinks or go grab some food afterwards, you know? I mean, it's not happy hour, but go do something. Um, but yeah, so this is the new card. It's back there on the table. Grab it, put it on your calendars, make it happen. Awesome. Thank you for being here tonight. Welcome to More to Life. I was wondering how many people could cram this in during May. Because May is one of those months that we all honestly hate. And if you're the weird person out there, it's okay to be weird, man. If you love it, great, good for you. But May, what a hard month with all these last things happening because of the school calendar year and like randomly getting like three feet of snow in a day, all those kinds of things just affect our mood and like our ability to like go out and engage and do things. And so I'm proud of you and thank you for showing up tonight because awesome. We're going to have a good talk tonight. Um, Recompassion is the word that my boys decorated here on the board. I have to say these words out loud now because the people who listen to the podcasts always say you never refer to what's on the board. You never read it. You never tell it. You never speak it. And they're like, so they send me emails. What was on the board? Ah, so recompassion is the word. Uh, that's the title of tonight's kind of story time. Um, I wanted to start off by saying I've always been of... of an avid fan of pranks. I love pranks. I think they're great. And especially ones that don't like hurt people. You know, like the good, awesome pranks. There's a guy sitting here in the front row and I want to tell the story, Matthew Resignalo. And um, Matthew Resignalo is an avid fan of pranks as well. And all the way from, I've gotten phone calls from him saying, Phil, I think I'm in really big trouble, to this one prank that I want to mention that he did that I thought was ingenious. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. So I get home one night after a night when, back when I was directing Sky, and I get a text. And the text shows up on my phone, and it's from God. And it says, I'm really proud of you, Phil. You do a great job with those students. And I text him back, and I was like, God, question mark? <laughs> he was like, I just wanted to let you know, you're doing a good job. And so I go in there and I see the number and like most people know, I, don't, I know no one's numbers anymore. I mean, if I know your number, man, you're probably a blood relative or something. But so I text him back, I'm like, seriously, who is this? And he's like, oh, it's Matt Resignalo. And I was like, oh, this is great. And he kept texting me back over the next few weeks. All of them showing up is from God. I thought it was great. Um, it was really good. So if you're looking for a really decent prank to play on someone, steal their phone, reprogram your name as someone else's name, or better yet, God, or something, and then start texting that person, because it's really cool. Um, anyway, one of the other pranks I wanted to throw out there that I always loved that Ann and I started with Summit County students a long time ago. They were in high school and we created this, well it was actually middle school, we created this program to initiate students. We thought it would be fun. 
Um, it's not really hazing, but maybe a lower level of it, but they all loved it. So, I mean, it was great. Everybody talks about it, still talks about it. In fact, your son led it one time when I was sick and I couldn't be there. I'm pointing to Sally Lynch and her son is T. Lynch. That's for the podcasters. Okay, so, but we created this game called Ooga Booga. Ooga Booga. It's the craziest, weirdest game ever. But I would essentially be the king Ooga Booga, and I would sit in this chair, and there would be three chairs in front of me, and the whole idea of the game was, you get to try to dethrone King Ooga Booga. That's what you get to do. And then I had two guards who like stood on either side of these three people, and I would really do really weird, I would be like, Ooga Booga! And then they had to do that as well. They had to be my mirror image, and they had to get into it and do it as best and as awesome as they could. And so I would stand up and I would make them do dumb things and we would, it was awesome. At some point, my two guards would get behind them and all three students are a little leery of that, but they're still trusting us. And I would be up and down, up and down. And at some point we took a really, 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 really wet sponge and we placed it on their chair when they were standing up and I was doing this ooga booga and they're standing up too. And then I slammed down ooga booga and they would slam down on the wet sponge. <laughs> And we had a video camera recording all of their faces. And we would go back and watch these faces. It was amazing. It was like just sitting on a wet, filled, full sponge. And then, you know, like we would wait. We would wait a couple years, and then we would do it again. You know, and all the students who hadn't done it, like they got to do it, and they got to be a part of it. It was awesome. I'm a big fan of pranks that create like that kind of mentality and um, usher in like, for me, pranks are like all about the moment, too. You're very present. It's hard for me to be present. I'm, 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 not, I'm not great at doing that. And so when I went to college, we played a lot of pranks on people. It was a lot of fun. One, one of my neighbors next door, we literally made it look like he had never moved into college because he left for the weekend to go visit his parents. And when he left, we were like, let's take it all down. Pictures, posters, we're gonna take his clothes out, all the furniture, everything that he brought to school will now be gone <laughs> from his room. And then his mom brought him back and they walked in the room together. We were next door when they got there. And she goes, oh honey, where's all your stuff? Like we had moved it all up to the attic and we had set it up, up in the attic space. Like his room was up there now. It was really good. We had another prank where we, we went down to Denver and we were like kind of low level pranking this, this floor of girls. And then so when we were down in Denver and they were down in Denver, they came and they pranked my like hall director, essentially that's what he kind of was. They pranked his car and they started calling us the greenie beanies. And I don't understand 100% why, but they smeared green beans all over his car and wrapped his car in saran wrap. <laughs> Lacks a lot of creativity, and it's not the best prank in the world. Kind of just pissed us off. So we did what always happens with like that kind of a situation, and we, we upped it, and we did a prank back. And if we did this same prank nowadays, <laughs> we would definitely have been suspended and probably like let go from the school. I kid you not. So here's what we did. We decided to go to where these girls lived on, in their rooms, and we sent three guys to every room. And the girls are in there, and we were just all kind of hanging out, because we were all kind of friends. And we, one of the guys had a U-lock with them. Do you know what that is, a U-lock? 
So it's just a, like a, an upside down U and then there's a bottom portion that locks into it and it was for bikes. You lock it and there's a key to get it off. We tested it out on a couple of ourselves and wore the U-lock as a necklace. So we put it around our neck and then we put the U-lock on and it just kind of dangles there and hangs there and it's pretty annoying, you can't get it off <laughs> without a key. So we thought, ah, we know pretty much the three girls that were responsible for greeny beanieing our hall director's car, so we're just gonna, we're gonna put these U-locks on their necks and tell them like, they have to wear them for a week and then we'll take them off. And so we did it successfully. An hour later, campus safety, the police on, <laughs> on campus called us individually, made us come take the U-locks off of these poor girls. And I look back and I think, oh my gosh, what were we thinking, right? Another low-level story that comes from here in Summit County. I had to deal with a lot of drama amongst students. I mean, and if you have kids, you get it. <laughs> if you go to school, you get it. There's drama everywhere. This is one of my favorite stories I think I've ever told though because I had two guys come and, to Sky and they were really upset with one another. And it starts with, you will never believe what he did, right? And so I'm like, I can't believe it. And then so I go to him and I'm like, hey, why in the world did you do that? Well, you'll never believe what he did. Uh, what did you do like to do? Well, you'll never believe what, you know what I mean? Boom, boom, back and forth, back and forth. And what's interesting is every time it went back and forth, it got a little bit more intense, right? The prank, whatever they did to one another, and then it got a little bit more intense. It ended with he put dog poop in my soda can at lunch. So like, that's the last one. Like he's really mad because he just drank something that had like dog poop in it. And then, but if we back up all the way to it, it was just, well, he said that I wasn't good at that. <laughs> you know, and it was like, what? <laughs> so he said you weren't good at that. And then it came over here and then it's like, well, yeah. And then he pushed me and then it was like, and then he put grass in my drink. And then it was, yeah. And then he put dog poop in my drink. And I was like, how did we get? from like he said something to like, you're drinking dog poop. This is crazy. Because it just escalates and it gets passed on. And I'm only telling a few of those stories and why I love pranks because that whole rhythm of escalation is involved in our lives in lots of ways. And I want to talk about it in a way that I feel like could be beneficial because a lot of times, I don't know, did anybody check out the controversial Netflix series, 13 Reasons Why? I know a lot of the high school students did. Okay. Um, there's a controversial kind of series out there on Netflix called 13 Reasons Why. I watched the whole thing like the second day it was out. Um, I appreciate it on lots of levels. If, if you want to get my take on it or if you want to hear like kind of a filter to look at the series through, because I feel like that's really beneficial, come talk to me because I'd love to share with you like just a couple of ideas when you go into watching it, what to look for and what to pay attention to. One of the things that I was blown away by in that series is how much pain and hurt is being tossed around in, on the high school level because people receive it and they just hold on to it for a little bit and then they throw it right back at somebody. 
And it happens through that series non-stop. And it just gets bigger and bigger every time it gets tossed back. And I watched that series and I was crying through most of it because my heart was breaking for the students in this series. And then I stepped back and I was like, yeah, most of us have a decent level of compassion for students who, don't who like have this whole life ahead of them. But like the same kind of hurt and the same kind of pain is being tossed around all the time on the adult level too. But we have less compassion sometimes the older we get. And like the longer we've been around and you look at someone and you say, you know what? I don't know. Like, I mean, well, they should know better. Or, or they've been through something like that before. You know, but when you kind of look at some younger people, there's this level of compassion that kind of wells up in you a little bit more. And I get how like the hate, revenge, and all these things get passed around and they escalate and they just get put onto other people. I want to talk tonight about trying to reconnect with compassion and letting compassion do the exact same thing. So like when you get it, that you like up it and you throw it back at somebody else. Rather than just taking it all in and enjoying it and being like, that feels so good. It's awesome. And you just, boom, it's done. It doesn't kind of necessarily trickle on or pass on to anybody else. Um, my dad, he's a really compassionate guy. I don't know, like if, if anybody here in the, in the room knows Winston Chapman, if you get Winston Chapman, he's typically here. He might be in New Zealand right now, I don't know, or working or crazy month of May. But if you get him talking about something he cares about, his voice is gonna start to crack and shake. Tears are gonna well up in his eyes. He's not gonna wanna let him come out, but like, he's just got a huge heart. That's my dad. My dad has a huge heart. Growing up, it was so funny. One of the things that um, he did for Silas when Silas was younger. My dad loves metal detectors. He thinks they're great. These things are cool. You can find all kinds of treasures, right? He doesn't find a lot of treasures, but his day's coming. And so one time, like he had it and Silas saw it and he was like, what is this? And so my dad lights up and starts talking to him about it. And meanwhile, like Silas is playing around with it in the house and one of us kind of has to help him hold it. My dad goes out into the yard and throws coins and money everywhere, right? And then he takes Silas out into the yard and he's like, well, let's go see what we can find. Let's just go see if we can find anything. And it's like beeping and Silas will get down and dig and he's getting quarters. I mean, the kid came in with like $20 and change, you know? And then of course, like the next day, Silas says, let's, let's go back out. Let's see if we can find more. And my dad's like, I don't know if there's gonna be any out there today. But my dad is like that kind of, he's like a giving, thoughtful, big-hearted kind of guy. He ran a construction business for the longest time, and he would hire guys that had, like, records, you know? Guys that couldn't get employed other places. And, and um, from my perspective growing up, being his son and watching this happen, I, I can't tell you how many times I thought he was dumb. My dad. Because these guys would flake on him or they wouldn't show up or things would happen, and, and my dad would always, like, pull him back in. And I remember this one time when I was going to one of my dad's storage units and he said, hey, so when you get there and you pull out these tools, just, just beware. I think that there's going to be a guy named Pete there. 
And I was like, who's Pete? And he's like, well, he's this guy I hired, but he doesn't have a place to sleep, and uh, he, he doesn't have a home. So like, I got him some sleeping bags, and I put a heater in the storage space, and um, got him some blankets and stuff. So I think Pete might be there when you get there. So don't be alarmed. <laughs> you know? So I get there, and I meet Pete. And uh, a week goes by, and Pete sold the heater, and he sold the sleeping bags and the blanket. And, uh, and then after a week's, full of, week's worth of work, he quit, you know. Another month rolled around, and Pete showed back up, and my dad hired him again, gave him a place to stay again. My dad did this a lot. It was like a habit. Um, my dad would also give away things that I owned. Um, <laughs> right? So we're going to play tennis, and there's a kid there, and they're by themselves. And my dad, you know, was like, hey. So me and my dad play tennis over here. We played tennis a lot together, and there was a backboard at our park. And so my dad would give this kid a tennis racket and a bunch of tennis balls and say, go for it, you know? And, and then at the end, he would be like, oh, no, you just keep it. You keep it. Like, keep playing tennis. Like, go for it. I'm like, Dad, that's my racket. <laughs> oh, we'll get you another one. It's all right. My sister, if she ever visits and you guys get to meet her, you should ask her about the time my dad gave away her favorite doll. No lie. <laughs> to this father and daughter that he met and invited over to our house for dinner. But that's my dad's heart. He had this depth of compassion that flowed through his veins. And a lot of times in the business world, it didn't work out for him so well. I mean, I still remember one time being like, Dad, would you just sue somebody, please? <laughs> like when they wouldn't give him his money or things wouldn't work out. And he, he always understood their side of the story, you know, and, and, and just wanted to help him out and, and do what he could. And I always swore I would never be like that. I was like, I am going to sue people. <laughs> I'm not going to give everything away. That's not going to be me. I want to show you a picture of something that just happened. Um, is, that, is that up there? Can you guys see it? All right, so I just did this wedding, and um, I'm a part of this awesome group that's down in Denver in the Springs. It's called True Life Studios. And um, the photographer who was there, Sarah, she's amazing. She took this picture and she posted it in our little True Life's group. She said, Guy, this might be the sweetest photo ever. Philip Gallagher is going to kill me. But I think it's a testament of how sweet this couple was and how much he cares. I found myself crying during their wedding. They were crying too. I don't think there was a dry eye in the place. But I couldn't keep it in. And, and so she took the picture. My dad is notorious for hiding money in my house even now that I'm an adult. Right? So he, they just visited. And my mom, when she left, she, she was like, here, Philip, have a little bit of this. And I was like, oh, thank you. Thank you, Mom. Hugs, 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 hugs. They're on the road like two hours. And I get a call from my dad. And he's like, um, <clears throat> you need to go upstairs <laughs> and find your under, underneath the longest cushion on your couch. I left some money for you. No more metal detectors for me. Like, it's just like a little hide-and-seek game that goes on now. And my dad's done that a lot through my life. And what I found out is, when my dad typically does that, it's probably within a week that I find myself in a scenario when I come into contact with someone that needs money. 
the strangest, weirdest thing for me. I'm going to tell you about one story when I found this happened. My dad had just given me some money, and um, Ann and I were traveling somewhere. And I went into this gas station, and there was just this guy outside. And he was in need of money. And I started talking to him. And I was like, all right, I just got some money. <laughs> I didn't earn it, so I'm not so attached to it like some people are. It was literally given to me and I can give it to someone else. So I walked up to this guy and I had a little conversation with him and I said, hey, I'd like to give you some money. So I gave him like 100 bucks. And he was beside himself immediately, just didn't even know what to do. And I was like, well, here, I, I mean, I really hope it helps somehow. And he's like, well, hang on, hang on, hang on. Uh, I, wanna, I, wanna get, I wanna give something to you. And he saw the car that I came out of. He saw Ian in the car, and he also saw one of my kids in the car. And he starts digging through all of his stuff, and he pulls out one of those yellow notepads of paper, right, that you rip the pages off. And he goes, here, here, here. Why don't you, why don't you give this to your boy and let him draw on it? He'll, he'll love it. And I was like, that is such a good idea. And I was like, thank you so much. You know? And so I went back to the car. It was, actually, uh, it was actually Lincoln, I think, in the car. And I gave Lincoln the yellow pad of paper. And then I went in to pay for my gas. Um, and when I went inside, he had already filled up this little basket. He had cereal, milk, all kinds of food that he was purchasing in there. It was a really cool moment for me. But it's kind of what I want to tap into about this idea of reconnecting with compassion in your life. Allowing it to escalate and throwing it back at somebody else. Allowing that to take place in your life. I had a friend named Ben Miller who I went to college with. And we both found this organization that we fell in love with. And they said they go and they, they serve the poorest of the poor in the world. We both wrote our senior papers on this organization. Quickly afterwards, I did not go work for the organization, but he wanted to, but he had to pay off his school debt, right? So Ben ends up coming out here and living with Ann and myself. And we charge him really low rent because we know what Ben's going to go do, right? Like, and we want to help this guy get there. We want to help make his dreams come true. So we had a Geo Prism at the time that was an amazing car. It was approaching 300,000 miles. And the only thing that had ever gone wrong on this car was it needed an oil change, right? Like, and it never ran low on oil. Like, it never had issues. We were driving this Geo Prism from here to Georgetown to go get something or pick something up. I can't remember. But Ben's in the car with me. <laughs> and there's a huge rock. I'm just going to call a boulder in the road. And I'm screaming. I drive pretty fast. And so I've got a car on my right and a car on the left. And all I could do was just that, you know? And like, you just heard it rip underneath the car. And I thought, oh, this isn't good. This isn't good. Um, we slowly drove the car back here to Breckenridge. And I got it into a shop because Ann and I were literally leaving the next day to go like visit her family in Minnesota. I was like, oh, this is horrible. So the guy in the shop takes a quick look at it. He said, oh, you don't want to drive this anywhere. It's got a broken axle. 
And um, I was like, well, that's not good. <laughs> I mean, I don't know much about cars, but that sounds bad. <laughs> Broken axle, don't drive it anywhere, he said. So we take off, we fly to Minnesota, and I still remember getting this call on the first day of our vacation in Minnesota. The phone rings and it's Ben Miller. And Ben Miller was living at our house and he had received a call to go babysit some kids. And it was out on this ranch though, right? And so he needed to get there somehow, so he drove the Geo Prism. He drove the Geo Prism and he gets out there and he actually took a wrong turn on the ranch and so he went to back up and one of the wheels went off and the whole car flipped and it was upside down in this like river that they had just actually like forked off earlier so it wasn't near as deep as it could have been. But he's literally calling me to let me know that our car has flipped over and it's out at this ranch and, and he doesn't know really what to do. And so Ann and I were both like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. And so we go through the whole vacation. We get back. We go out to the ranch to visit the car. Um, I had a guy come with me who looked at the car and they said, oh, the car's totaled. I mean, it's, you can't put money into this again. It's gonna cost you so much money. We did not have comprehensive insurance on this car. We had like the most basic kind of insurance you could have. And this was our only vehicle. And so we were just out a car. Now I remember some of my friends at the time were telling me, well, Ben needs to pay for that. And I was like, Ben can't pay for that. I know Ben's story and I can't foot him this bill. Well, no, it's a part of being responsible. He needs to own up for this, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, I can't do it to him. He's getting ready to go to South America. And he's gonna literally live on the street with kids. Are you kidding me? Like, and I can't do it. I can't pass that on to him. And so like, I find myself, and uh, at moments during my life, it's like my, my dad's heartbeat starts to beat in my chest or something, you know? And these words come out of my mouth that I never thought I would find myself speaking. And I, I, just, I just sometimes can't comprehend it. But it's this level of compassion. I've been shown a lot of it in my life. I really, really have. And there's times when I feel like I need to let that build and I need to let it pass on to other people. Because I get it. I get it. And I want that to kind of be a defining attribute of myself, too. You know, I would much rather someone say, oh, he's such a, he's got such a big heart than, oh, he's such a hard worker. I like the big heart better. And I'm still a hard worker. <laughs> but like, I would love people to know that. And I would love that to ring true about me. I went and lived in Israel for four months. It was awesome. We lived right outside the old city at this place called the uh, University of Jerusalem or the Jerusalem University College, something like that. While we were there, we had tons of opportunities to travel and go awesome places. There was one trip that was going to happen, and it was this trip to Egypt. And um, a lot of people were going to be going on this trip. And I kind of kept it hush-hush for a while, but um, I just I didn't have the money. My parents didn't have the money. 
And I don't want to even go into that story, but my dad, who gives money away all the time, he doesn't have a lot <laughs> in the end, right? But they couldn't afford for me to go on this trip. And, and I was quite literally going to be almost the only person back at this campus when this trip was going on. And uh, there was this one guy there named Joel. And I didn't know Joel from anybody. He went to my same university back here in the States, but I'd never taken the time to know Joel. Um, I didn't, you know, we just didn't click. We didn't connect. Our paths didn't overlap, but they had since we went there. And Joel, for some reason, I didn't know it until later on, but I ended up like contacting someone and, and they were like, no, you can go on the trip. Like, it's all good. You can go on the trip. And I was like, how in the world can I go on the trip? I can't afford it. They're like, no, someone paid for your trip. It's all taken care of. It's all good. And so I went on the trip, and I found out that it was Joel Siebersma. And um, I can't tell you. Like, when people pass those acts of compassion towards you, I would just encourage you not to let it stop there. I mean, we do a really good job of passing around pain and hurt. <laughs> we do that on an excellent kind of scale. But reconnect with the idea of compassion. Pass that stuff around. I've got the word up for you tonight because it actually has a root word in it. I don't know if you guys can see it, but it's right there, compass. Um, they're kind of linked. And that doesn't mean like the hiking kind of compass that most of us would automatically go to. It means like when you're in geometry class and they ask you to pull out your protractor and your compass. That's really where that word has its first kind of device use, which was that kind of a compass, the two-pronged device, you know, that like is a pain to use, but it draws arcs and curves and it measures the distance between two points. Compassion is all about honoring the relationship between two individuals or two groups. It's about making the connection from the heart of my being to the heart of your being. It's crossing that distance. Compassion. Compassion simply means, like if you want to look it up, being with suffering. And honestly, most of the time, that's a word that we <laughs> try to avoid 100%. But when I hear that, and I think about that series I watched, 13 Reasons Why, and I think about the idea of being with suffering and making the connection between my heart and yours, automatically what comes up for me is, I really don't know your story. And there's probably an element of suffering in that story that would really connect us and really bring us together. And so when I think of compassion, I think about that in relationship. How do you respond to other people's needs? How do you reach out to them? Um, in Buddhism, there's a threefold path of compassion, and it's described as this. The courage to see, the courage to feel, and the courage to act. Those three things. See, feel, and act. So, honestly, I, I was reading just the other day, too. This person said, you know, the antithesis or the biggest obstacle against compassion in our world isn't hatred. It's actually just habitual patterns of narrow self-interest. It's not actually hatred. It's just that we don't see 
we don't feel and we don't act. We don't do those three things. The more we can do those, the more we would be practicing that kind of path of compassion. We would make those connections even when you find yourself riddled with fear or doubt or uncertainty, you still kind of go there and you practice that compassion. I have this story. We went down. I took a group of students once to this concert, and uh, it was great. It was a great concert. But we're walking through the parking lot, and I had them all bring cash as gas money to pay me for gas because I was big on that because we were driving a huge Suburban, and it was lame. <laughs> just, you just watch the tank go down on the way to Denver. But we get out, and we're walking through the parking lot, and there's a mother and a young daughter that approach us. And I watch all the students. I mean, it's the best moments ever. I love these kind of moments. We're walking up, and you can tell they have everything that belongs to them with them. And the mother immediately starts talking to us, and she's asking for help, and she's asking if we can spare any money. Um, and she, her daughter really doesn't say anything. Her daughter's just there. Um, I asked her her name. And then all the students just look at me. They just look back at me, like, Phil, what are you going to do? You going to give them money? You going to talk to them? What are you going to do? And I just, I just opened up my mouth, and I go, well, I would love to help you, but I honestly, I don't have any cash at all. But I know that some of these students do. <laughs> and then I walked away. It was great. It was a wonderful moment. And then all the students, that was kind of the conversation piece for the rest of the evening. It was interesting how many students had like ideas and things about it, you know. One student actually threw this out there. They were like, I bet that wasn't even her daughter. I bet it was like a ploy to like get us to like give her money. And I was like, do you really think that? Come on. And so we had these kind of conversations. Well, what if, what if she does something bad with the money? I'm like, you've got money. She's in front of you. She's asking for help. How can we help? What can we do? And they talked about it for the rest of the night. It was so funny. The courage to see, the courage to feel, the courage to act. These are the three paths of compassion. Compassion often means seeing more than just your story and trying to see theirs. Then trying to kind of feel their story and embrace it a little bit and figuring out if there's actually something that you can do. Is there some way that you can respond to their story? Right now in Japan, I don't know if you've been paying attention, Japan's having a sex crisis. Have you seen this? Oh my gosh, you guys gotta go look this up when you get home. Um, it's a sex crisis. I know, right? So I just paid attention the other day. I found this thing, it's called the Gate Box. It costs $2,500, and they're gonna introduce it in Japan very soon. It's, a, it's like Amazon Echo on steroids. So instead of just having a speaker that you talk to, you speak to this little anime character. There's like a screen. It's almost like a little hologram thing. And the anime character interacts with you, and, and you almost kind of have a, a relationship with it. Did you ever see the movie She? Anybody? Yeah. OK, so a lot like She, but now we can put a physical, visual kind of representation to it. They show, I watched this video and this guy goes to work and well, he wakes up and the anime character talks to him and he's like, wake up sleepyhead, come on, get up. No, 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 you really gotta get up. 
don't forget to take your umbrella to work today. Okay, bye, see you later. And she turns off the lights in the home and everything. While he's at work, he get a text, he get a text, he gets a text from her and it says, hey, are you coming home from work early? And he's like, no, I gotta stay. So I'll be home around this time. Okay, well, I'll turn on the lights and blah, blah, blah. And he gets one and she's like, are you on your way home? And he's like, yeah, 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 you know? And it's like this interesting little, it's called gate box. Now, in Japan, what they're saying is, I wrote some of these phrases down here. Japan's having a sex crisis. They've labeled it the celibacy syndrome. They're saying that like the younger generation is having a flight from human intimacy. Romantic commitment represents a burden and drudgery. It produces unnecessary expectations on their lives and responsibilities they don't want to have. <coughs> Romantic commitments are too troublesome. I read this whole thing by this therapist and the therapist interviewed these, these younger generations and they said these three main things to her. They don't see the point in love. They don't feel like love leads anywhere and they don't do relationships anymore because they're too hard. <laughs> younger generations are not even starting families in Japan and it's at an alarming rate and people are very concerned. Not far behind Japan, honestly, because Japan has the most severe kind of level of this happening. The other countries they listed behind Japan, Denmark, China, Singapore, and the US. So interesting to me. Being with suffering, being in compassion for people, others, human intimacy, connection, between the heart of your being and the heart of another. I think we tend to avoid suffering and we tend to avoid connection sometimes because it can be a little messy and it can be a little hard. Compassion though is the thing that I think that we should pass on to other people. I think we should throw it around a lot and I wouldn't have a problem if it escalates. I think it would be great rather than like telling these stories when it gets way out of control. Think if we had the stories where compassion gets out of control. Like it's just, oh my God. And then they were like being so nice to them and then they did this. And I mean, it's just not the stories that we normally have. I'm gonna read you one story because I want you to leave here tonight knowing that your voice and your acts of compassion are 100% unique. I want you to get that as you leave here tonight. I want you to know that you have a critical role to play amongst our families, your personal relationships, our communities, on a small scale and on a global scale, you have a very unique role with your voice of compassion and your acts of compassion. I think everybody's essential when it comes down to that. I've been reading this book and he tells this story in here and I want you just to hear it. Um, because it reminds me of where I'm going to be probably with my dad eventually. I love it. Uh, there it is. All right. So this gentleman's been taking care of his father because his father's actually entered into dementia a little bit. And he's found that his father used to be, um, his father actually used to be a missionary and like worked overseas and did a lot of things. And his conversations tend to circulate around a much more narrow area now. You know, the conversations don't really go a whole lot of places, but they're, they're pretty narrow. And so he tells this story in here, and I love it. 
He says, uh, in the last months of my father's life, as dementia was rapaciously taking his memory and mind from us, I witnessed the river of feeling flowing strong in him. In fact, it was flowing more uninhibitedly than ever before. Right? Throughout my father's life, one of his favorite blessings was the prayer attributed to Aaron in the Hebrew scriptures, sometimes called the priestly blessing. It begins with these words, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. In my father's flow of feeling now, he wanted to give this blessing to everyone, everywhere, repeatedly. During my last visit to Canada, before he entered a nursing home, my sister asked if I would help sell the family car, which my father was still trying to drive illegally. <laughs> yeah, right. I called the local car salesman and set up an appointment for the next day. I made a point of saying to him, listen, when you meet my father tomorrow, you will notice that he seems confused about all sorts of things. But please honor him by speaking to him and not to me. This is his car, and I'll be there with him. The young salesman totally got the point. There was playful banter. My father never lost his sense of humor. There were, of course, absurd moments in the conversation, as there always are when you're dealing with dementia. My father tried to say to him, now, how much money do I owe you for this car? <laughs> and the salesman replied, no, 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 no. Dr. Newell, we want to give you money for the car. To which my father said, looking at me, this is very generous of him. <laughs> At the end of the transaction, as the check was being handed over to my father, I said to the young salesman, now, whenever I part from my father, or whenever we finish a telephone conversation, he gives me a blessing. And I think he would like to bless you now. So there we were, standing in the middle of a car showroom. My father took the salesman's hand, looked straight into his eyes, and said these words, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. I stood gazing at my father thinking if only I could be such a bearer of blessing in the world. And then I looked at the young car salesman and tears were streaming down his face. He will never forget that moment. Never. Re-compassion connecting with the idea that compassion is deep within us. It's flowing inside of us. And it would probably one of, be one of the best things to flow through us and around us to just keep that flow going and going. Until next time, may you discover the courage to see, the courage to feel, and the courage to act. May you live that kind of a full life and nurture true connection with others. And may you be present with the suffering that you find. And may you reconnect truly with compassion. And I hope that it will compel you to action and that it will move you until you may be known by your heart of compassion. Amen. Thank you guys for being here tonight. I will see you again, hopefully, June 6th. <laughs> June 6th is our next More to Life. We're going to have a summer of More to Life, and the time will now be 7 to 8 o'clock. But thank you guys for being here. I know it's a super busy time of year, 
And I just appreciate you guys showing up and, and listening to this kind of a talk about compassion. So grab more dessert, grab tea, grab coffee, say hey to each other, and we'll see you on June 6th.